friends, Romans, countrymen. I wanted to record a special little podcast. Um, and I know the title is not necessarily one that you might want to admit listening to. But I am very aware right now that we are in a time that we have never experienced before. And I have friends who are connected to the forces and social services and many different enterprises and sectors that are seeing the catastrophic results of what's happening. Well, thanks, Kerry, for giving us such a hopeful start to uh, this podcast. <laughs> um, but I actually... I'm going to be very careful to not joke too much on this one. Um, and you might hear me being a little bit more hard-hitting on the realities of what's going on. Because when my friend told me that the suicide cases are increasing and skyrocketing, as well as social services cases are, are skyrocketing for abuse for children because of the quarantine crisis, I, I felt an urgent need to share some thoughts on loneliness um, when the world is in a place where we are so powerless as to what is taking place, um, even on information being shared, we're powerless as what we can be told, what we are being told, what we're not being told. And I think it's very easy in this moment of time to get so distracted with what's not happening, what we are not what we are challenged with so much in our day-to-day -day vocabulary right now, it kind of feels very similar to the silent retreat that I've talked on before. And I've done a whole podcast on silence that I would strongly recommend listening to if you haven't listened to already. It kind of, um, it talks about the muscle you build in a time where rhythm is slowing down a lot more so. Now, this is ne isn't necessarily going to be relatable for the likes of a healthcare worker who has probably never been busier than ever before um, and is on night shifts and exhausted and working ridiculous hours. I've got plenty of friends doing that right now, whether it's for the homelessness um, situation or whether it's just down to the fact um, that people are trying to care for people with COVID. The realities of what's going on are just catastrophic. But at the same time, I'm reminded of the very individuals, um, the ones that aren't on the news, the ones that get to sit behind their closed doors and have no one to talk to. And it's for that reason alone that I wanted to do a podcast tonight because I think there are people that were already lonely before this crisis began and yes you are going to hear me cry because I really do feel like the Lord is grieving over this one at the moment with us and I think if we're not careful we're going to miss a very large opportunity of looking to see what it looks like to be accompanied when we are completely alone and so even though I'm saying that this podcast is to the lonely, it's more a reminder that you are not. I know it's very easy to feel that way. I, I'm very aware just in my own juncture of recognizing that without human contact, uh, we lose in some level a sense of accountability. We lose the life and the energy of another person. The actual interaction with somebody else is not the same on video as it is when we get to hold the hand of someone we love or hug someone that we love. 
And so I actually started to write down today and I really felt this ruminating over me over the last few hours. And uh, tomorrow is my 40th birthday and I'm leaving my 30s, the big decade of the 30s. And I, I found myself in the few days building up to it and for anyone that's crossed this threshold by all means reach out to me and tell me how you how you navigated it but I think I obviously I had a very different idea of what my life was going to be at 30 never mind what it was going to be at like at 40 I think by this point I thought I'd have a 10 year old at this point I thought I'd have been married for 10 or 12 years and of course there are plenty of times that I could have been married um to decent people they, they, they it's not like I had catastrophic relationship after catastrophic relationship um, I'm very much a believer in the timing I'm very much a believer in compatibility I'm very much believing in the growth of yourself and the other person and so when I look on my journey as a in an irrational sense I'm very glad that my life has turned out the way that it has and um, I'm very glad that I have so much more future ahead of me I think sometimes we can get so introspective because of how the world has dictated how our lives should be. And I'm very aware that 40 is the new 30 and all those lovely things that we love to tell ourselves. But the reality is, is um, the Lord sat me down and quite strongly explained to me the importance of avoiding introspective behaviors at this time especially during quarantine and so with the combination of both me turning 40 and something's not having accomplished in my life just yet as well as sitting down and going but let's just look at what has been accomplished I know that tonight he's listing so many things of which he's been so proud of not just for myself, but the things that I've overcome, the things that we and he and I have persevered through together, the things that I have been able to gain so much wisdom on, the the most loneliest moments of my life have been some of my greatest growing pains. And I actually felt that in this time of complete disorder <laughs> in certain in certain ways, I felt a little, a little bit, the, the analogy felt like to me, gosh, I can't even get my words out. The analogy felt like to me, just because someone said that the water's been cut off doesn't mean that there is no water available. And what I'm trying to say is we have sources, we can obtain that same source from different streams. And so when we're in this time of confinement, when we have only a, a limited amount of people that we're allowed to see, when we are limited for finances, when we're limited for all these different moments and different realities of what our emotional needs we're getting, never mind our physical needs we're getting. Well, the reality is if we're not careful, we're going to be looking out to our left, being distracted by the fact that the water is being cut off rather than looking to our right and seeing that there are streams of the same resource available to us through different ways. How does that applicate to being lonely? Well, I'm not going to tell you, oh, you've got FaceTime, oh, you've got Skype. I mean, I'm Skyping my mother every day right now while she's in quarantine in England. And I'm so grateful for that resource. But it's not the same of being at home and playing Scrabble with her. It's not the same as just um, being thrown off by some beautiful, hilarious moment of comedy that we normally find somewhere during the day. Because we're experiencing the day together. It is different. And yet I'm also aware 
of how thankful I am of a mother like my mother who can sit in silence and sit, she might consider herself to be quite accompanied, even though she's sitting on her own in the house with a dog. She actually feels, I don't think I ever see her alone. And the reason why I cry is the thankfulness and the gratitude I have that she had a perspective to recognize in her ability to see angels, in her ability to feel angels. She's never, ever alone. And we're both quite content with our own company. She never remarried just for companionship's sake, which I know some people in, in their 60s and 70s, they do do that. And there's, no, there's nothing wrong with that in many ways. But I am very grateful that I had a model in front of me on my day-to-day to go, we don't need people in the way that most of us try and take advantage of with people. Have people because you enjoy them. Don't have them in your life because you need them. That's not fair on them. And the same for... um I've had friends that have sort of come into my world and they come into my house and... um they'll come into my bathroom and they'll go, gosh, there's just such a strong sense of the presence in the bathroom. And when I'm in bed and, you know, people that have lived with me go, and I can see angels above your bed. I'm like, well, it's actually where I talk to the Lord the most is both in bed and in the bathroom. And I have to say, I really felt the, the, the strength of the companionship of angels. I know Billy Graham was so strong on angels and um, sometimes they can be a forgotten mystery when we often so look at Jesus and the Trinity so much we forget about the little friends (laughs) and yet it's often been angelic encounters that have been the most comforting experiences for me well how does that help for people that are struggling with mental health issues how does that help with people that are actually in pain and in their and in their moments of wanting to commit suicide in the in the moments of wanting to end things i guess my message is for those ones that have just been in pain and this quarantine time has exacerbated that problem it's made things feel more overwhelming than ever before and i think even though we can easily have a list of reasons as to why we feel alone. Uh, we can look at a friend that let us down or forgot our birthday. We can look at people that um, didn't show up when they said they would, that didn't follow through on promises. They didn't have the forethought to think about you when they knew you were having a tough time. The, the sad part about humanity is that it naturally will let us down. And I think what can happen is we can get so distracted with the ones that let us down um, that we use that as our own narrative when we're on our own, that we believe that we're not worthy enough for people to stay around. And so this narrative gets stronger and stronger the more and more we feed into it. The more and more experiences we have that are evidence to show they were not worthy of being fully loved and fully unconditionally loved. And so that's where codependency comes in. That's when we do have lots of people around us to fill in the gaps and make noisy, busy um, distractions in our lives. So we don't have to deal with any of those things. And so this is why I actually feel this time 
I know we can have positive spins on this and a negative spin on it. And I really don't want to discount the people that are, have actually lost people during this time to COVID. I, I don't want to discount the pain and the, and the suffering that certain marriages are going to be going through right now. I'm, I don't want to um, ignore the reality of some of the real truths that are coming up in certain families, in certain childhoods. Um, I really do want to treasure and honor uh, the very reality of that. And I don't want to de demean it. I don't want to come in with a fixed 30-minute podcast that's just going to change it all for you. I actually just want to honor and, and, and beg of you to be kind to yourselves during this time. And that means that we don't use the responses and the reactions of other people towards us as a narrative of our own worth. Um, that means that even though people may have struggled with mental health issues, it doesn't mean to say um, that all is now lost because you don't have your village to take care of you or to help you or keep you accountable. Some of these moments of stopping, some of these moments of being still are actually the most powerful moments to come and seek him, speak into these very things that we often distract ourselves with busyness on. Um, I'm actually seeing this time, if I will, with a, seeing it as a 40-day fast from the normal rhythm of life. Now, a note to pastors in the healthcare, this is where this is not going to be relatable to you because most of us are actually much busier um, than ever before because we're obviously trying to nurture and take care of our people and our, our beloveds and uh, the ones that are lonely. Um, they're the ones that we are running out to. They're the one out of the 99 that we want to make sure uh, feeling included in this time. Um, but I want to see it as a, as a moment of reflection, not towards the self, but more towards the art of justice. And what I mean by that is there are people out there who are permanently lonely and quarantine on some level has made all of us feel a little bit lonely. I mean, hear me out, there's going to be families of five or ten children that'll be like, chance would be a fine thing. <laughs> but I'm actually talking... For, for the moments where you can be married and have 11 children and still feel lonely. So let's just be really clear about that. I'm talking to the, not the physical loneliness, I'm talking to the inward loneliness that thought that once we accomplished these certain attributes, once we got to this particular stage, once we got married, once we had children, once we achieved that six-figure salary, once we got to all of these places in our lives, then we would feel a sense of contentment, of worthiness, of I'm finally allowed to take my place in the world <laughs> because I have all these reasons that I've earned. But sometimes when we are stripped back completely without our permission, without our even, our even without any preparation of being stripped back, I'm starting to recognize that there were before this time People who are permanently lonely. And it's those that I feel the Lord is highlighting stronger than ever. Not just the ones that live on their own, but the ones who've been in difficult marriages. The ones who are running away and running away and running away from the realities of the things that they've done. And, and yet it also does include the single, the widowed, the isolated, the elderly. 
it's almost a moment of taking back our breath and recognizing that even in the distractions of the noise and the chaos and the busy to-do list that we have, we mustn't forget the permanently lonely. And I remember actually Mother Teresa once talked about how leprosy was the most loneliest disease in the world. She called leprosy the loneliest disease in the world. And it's one of the reasons why Princess Diana was such a strong advocate against the stigma of leprosy, because actually it was not as contagious, certainly not as contagious as COVID. Leprosy you could only conta- you could only get if you had um, close proximity to it for two years. So that's why it would go through families. But it, was, it held such a stigma, people would run away from the realities of going to get cured. And if we caught it in time, um, then it was easy just to take some multidrug therapy and they'd be fine within six weeks. But a lot, most of the time, people were so, uh, faced so much prejudice, they would lose their jobs. Uh, any kind of skin mark that started to show, which is normally the first signs of leprosy, a sort of skin patch, uh, that would be the early signs of leprosy. And so people would run, hide, become homeless um, and slowly allow their body to just um, be consumed by the disease rather than going to seek help. And, you know, my father was the head of the leprosy mission back in the day, so this is why I know so much about this stuff. But I found it so interesting that she called it the loneliest disease in the world. And it was loneliest for two reasons. One was the stigma, which was filled with prejudice, assumption, and uh, complete, uh, therefore, and fear. It was mainly the community that made them lonely, not them themselves. They had learned by the environment and the surrounding areas to them that, oh, the world doesn't ha- can't handle this stuff. The world has a prejudice against me for this reason and this reason alone. Um, and, and that's why I find it so powerful about Jesus, about him, how he had no problem going to touch them, going to pray, pray and lay their hands on these 10 lepers that, of course, it's now considered a, an incorrect way to call them that. It's, it's best to be called, calling them a leprosy patient or a person suffer, suffering from leprosy. But the reality is even that word didn't used to be um, an insulting word. It was just what the word was if you suffered from this disease. But now it's been so used with such a prejudicial um, extremity that it's become insulting and isolating and um, so hostile. And so the reason why I'm using that as an example of loneliness is it's not... It's not just the isolation of one person on their own. Our own our own posture towards a certain thing, a certain person, a certain label. I see a lot of people isolate um, single leaders because they're not considered as trustworthy as the marriage one, which I think, you know, our Lord and Paul would have had a bit of a journey <laughs> in this day and age if that were the case. I also look at the elderly and I see how they're no longer considered as useful as they used to be in their career. And so they naturally are not as pulled on as they used to be. I remember working for some very high-level people, and so therefore I was very popular because I had access to them. As soon as that job finished, I certainly didn't have as much access um, to those people, and that was you know, obviously part of the job of leaving. But I remember how quiet my phone was afterwards, and 
the recognition of how many times you hear that phrase of you can only count your real friends on one hand. Well, thankfully, I can certainly count more than that on more than two hands. But that's not the case for everyone. And yet at the same time, people suffering with leprosy actually had at one moment a choice to be brave enough and reach out for help. They actually had a choice when they navigated the fact or learned that they'd had the disease. They could go to a nearby hospital. They could go and get help. They could actually go and get a cure for it. But the embarrassment, the stigma, the pride of us was so terrified to go forward and tell someone, hey, I think these are the early signs of leprosy. And, you know, one of the jobs that my father did was actually on a justice level was to create uh, centers for people who had been cured of leprosy but still had the disfigured um, elements of no fingers, no toes or stumps for hands. They were could not get jobs, so they were still considered homeless. So my father had created these rehabilitation centers across um, parts of the world where they could become mechanics and seamstresses and they did the most extraordinary extraordinary woodwork. In fact, over my mother's piano in England, there is this um, picture of the Last Supper that was all carved by leprosy patients, and I, I might even post it sometime uh, for you guys to see when I'm next back in England. But the craftsmanship is extraordinary. And I think what we don't realise is we don't see the gifts and the beauty on people because of our own prejudices, because of our own fear of what a a disease or, or 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 what an appearance can look like to us. And so during this time, I think it's very important that we actually ask the Lord, is there anything in my experience? Is there anything in my own fear? Is there anything that there, there has been an injustice in front of me over and over again, but I've ignored it? Is there anything that you want to highlight to me during this time, during this reflection, during this 40-day fast, of the normal, everyday life that we lead? Is there anything you want to highlight to me, Lord, that I need to be more involved in, that I can actually help you with, that I can actually co-labor with you and actually run after this thing that's hurting your heart as you watch upon the earth and see what goes down because of our own naivety, our own lack of knowledge? And at the moment, I'm I'm working for... Um, an entity of really brilliant leaders that are uh, more on the East Coast and the West Coast of America. And one of the things that I've been learning so much, and I'm so grateful for this learning time with them, is they come in as brilliant minds, probably some of the most extraordinary minds I think I've ever worked with. And I know that because of the fruit and the impact that they have on countries towards presidents, towards the government, towards the private sector, towards the faith-based community, they are the most extraordinary engine of people that I think I've ever met and some of the most influential people I've ever met in the world. But they don't come in like that. They don't bulldoze their way in into a subject matter or an injustice or a problem that's going on in the world. They watch and they learn and they study and they ask the experts, the one top percentile of people that 
are brilliant at finding solutions to problems and they ask and they ask and they study and they write and they ask and they ask more questions and they go to the ground and they go to the street kids and they go all the way from them all the way up to the government and the presidents of countries and then they come in with a potential solution to help but not beforehand not before they've asked a lot of questions and then some more and then some more and one of the things that I think can isolate us from each other is opinion. <laughs> this podcast in itself, I think, could create a whole load of isolation. If someone listens to the podcast, they they will interpret it through their own lens. They will hear. I get questions all the time, like, you said this, but did you actually mean this or did you mean this? Because I'm, I'm offended if you mean this. I'm not offended if you mean this. And I'm like, oh, I didn't mean either. <laughs> I didn't mean either of those lines. So what's interesting to me is just how um, if we're not open-minded enough to ask enough questions, and I think this is specifically pointed to the church, don't come in because you know the Bible inside and out that you think you know the solution. <laughs> because our Lord, even though he knew scripture so well, he took the individual and he sat down and asked a lot of questions. And when he was asked questions, then he gave answers. When he found the hungry, he fed them. He didn't feed people that were already full on their own opinion. And I think what I'm trying to say is we can easily isolate ourselves outside of a quarantine time. Does that make sense? I hope it makes sense. It's really easy to build cases not just against each other, but towards ourselves. And I, I guess part of the, I'm going into 25 minutes and I wanted to make this a short one just because, gosh, there's so much information going on, so much. So take this time to see how we can be geared towards justice, how we can help in social justice, how we can help the lonely. Who are the lonely that the Lord is specifically speaking to you? What's really interesting is the mic is like lighting up all of a sudden and nothing's changed. So I don't know what that means. And I do feel a bit of an angelic presence in this moment as well, which is quite interesting. I'm up in the attic in my house in Northern California and I've often played an awful lot of worship up here. So it's it's quite interesting just to take a moment of silence and listen and yeah and I'm Tyler I'm not even going to ask us to edit this space <sighs> there is something about embracing the present moment don't count down the days to the end of quarantine Count up the days to how much you can grow in this time. And as you feel pain, for those who were in pain already, I've got friends who lost dear people to them just before quarantine, and so they're grieving alone, some of them, at least on a physical level. I've said to them, let the tears flow. It's very important to let the tears flow. We haven't been taught how to do pain very well. I've said this thousands of times before on this podcast. I think if we could teach children how to face adversity, how to face pain, 
directly and not avoid it, we would have a much healthier world. I really believe that because our Lord was very good at being very direct and very head on with pain, never avoiding it, never using anything to numb pain. Even on the cross, he was spitting out a painkiller. So there's not an excuse to avoid pain when it comes. It's one of the most inevitable parts of our lives, but how we respond to it, how we handle it and how we allow ourselves to even feel pain is incredibly important and I think actually it speeds up the process a lot quicker. I've said that before, but in specifically in this time, let the tears flow so you can see him collect them in his book. Now, in Psalms, it talks about he collects, he records every tear in his book. That's not because he loves to see you cry, just to be really clear. It's because every single thing that affects you matters. And the fact that he's even got time to write this and of course he does, he's outside of time. But the reality is, is that he actually cares about every single detail that moves you. It helps write the story for him. Ooh. But the book isn't just a book of tears. The book is your life. Inside the book is also how he plans to prosper you, how he plans to grow you, how he plans to speak to you about unspeakable things, how to teach you about the mysteries of his ways. And sometimes we get so clogged up with our own understanding, our own back catalogue of experiences that go, see, I told you, that we miss these moments of just letting him speak into it and us being silent and just letting him speak and just to be with us. You don't need the job to show that you're worthy of taking your place in the world. You don't need the marriage or the children to show that you're blessed. You really don't. <laughs> All you need to know is what it looks like to sit with him. That you were created just because he wanted to create you. And I'd hate for you to miss an opportunity to miss the very wirings and, and tapestry that he made of you. The life force that you are, and I'm speaking to the ones that are thinking about it, that are thinking about, they just want to end the pain. There's actually another way, <laughs> and it doesn't have to look like ending the pain. It actually looks like putting the pain out on the table and going, this is what it all looks like. What do we do now? Let him speak into it. Let him be able to rethread the tapestry if necessary. And this isn't some ethereal, imaginative friend that I'm putting in front of you. This is someone that created you, that knows how every vein in your body is wired, that knows how you breathe, that knows how you sleep at night, that knows the dreams you had last night and the ones you're having tomorrow. There is such a phenomenal knowledge of you right in front of you. And if you miss those conversations, if you're not a believer, but you are intrigued of what I'm talking to you right now, then just sit down and do this very thing that I, I did when I was an atheist, which was I've, I've heard about you. I've heard that you know the details on our life. And I need to know that you see the details of my life. And I had the most extraordinary encounter that I won't go into now, maybe for another time. But that was the moment that brought me back 
to not just the substance of Jesus' kindness, but the very father that he had this relationship with that made him always choose the right path, the noble choice, versus the easier option or the get-out game. Let the tears flow so you can see him, collect them in his book, and continue to write the story because his book has plans to prosper you, has plans to grow you, to teach you unspeakable things, and you have been potentially so distracted by the things of chaos and carnage in your life. I don't want you to miss the miracles that are taking place if you look in the other direction. Let it be a time of growing Don't let it be a time of infestation, of self-questioning, of introspection, because there's a lot for you to do right now. And it's for you to pick up the phone and reach out to your friends, the ones that are in the back burner. It's a time to reconcile with the ones that you've been too prideful with. It's time to actually sit down. Don't think for a moment about the people who are or who are not in your life but go up and above into a dimension that actually looks down on you right now as you're listening to this and sees you and watches you from all angles and is in adoration of you, of the makeup of who you are. And I'll finish with this. There was a beautiful story of a child that was in the children's part of the school um, at Bethel Church. And the child must have been no older than six And the child was walking down the corridor and they'd met an angel in the corridor. And of course, you know, they're kids. So we're like, okay, how, how was that? How was, how was that time with the angel? And the child said, well, the angel stopped and asked me, what's it like? And the child went, what do you mean? And the angel said, what's it like to have Christ inside of you? Ugh, the six-year-old can't make that up, (laughs) just for the record. They don't have that kind of theological (laughs) dimension at that point. The angels are fascinated by you. They're mesmerized by you. And they love playing with you. And they love administering and saving and rescuing you from really difficult moments. And if there's a part of you that is ready to give up, I'm asking you to hold on. Not to an ethereal concept, but to a very real reality that is connected to the very creator of this universe, that is very much like the bigger equation than what we're facing right now because you're actually not alone. Not for those who believe in an arbiter, not for the ones who know their souls are guardianed by a heavenly realm. And so my heart is with you right now. I'm praying for you, I'm thinking of you. And you just need to know, you can pick up the phone Or you can sit and wait for the angels to be with you. Those are your two choices. There isn't a third choice. 
The third one... Uh, the third one doesn't bring fruit to anyone and neither will it bring fruit to you. But what a beautiful life to be able to look back and say, for as much as the world wanted to tell me that I was alone, there was a strength in me that rose up, stood up from myself and said, I'm worthy to take my place. And that's when I started to help other people. And if you can just reach out and look at another person to help another person in this time, things will become easier. And until then, until then, you're not alone.